kid, right? Don't jump the fence. You go around to the front yard. You knock on the door and you ask whether it's okay to jump the fence and uh, you know get your ball or whatever it is that, that jumped over that fence line. If you enter any neighborhood, you become aware of fences, right? Of property lines that are marked and basically marked keep out. In our lives, faith and true community with each other and with uh, Christ, all of that can be fenced off as well. But sometimes fences were made to be jumped. Sometimes boundaries are good, but sometimes they're just meant to be jumped. You're just asking for it or gone under or around. There are constructive ways, by the way, and destructive ways to do it. Some will beautify the neighborhood and others, depending on how you jump that fence, will, uh, will, turn, it into a, will turn it into a shambles. We uh, had moved into our neighborhood. Go ahead and hit that next slide. And, um, and, and in our neighborhood in Minnesota, our children were small. And uh, there, was this, uh, there were no fences anywhere in our neighborhood. And we were in this Midwestern town. No fences anywhere but the neighbors right next door to us. This long, long fence line. And it was such a trip because you would be in our neighborhood And if you were between houses, a lot of times you would just go between houses to get to where you were going. And it looked like there was this massive rugby field out in the middle of every neighborhood. There were no fences. You just didn't place them up. But the Lyons family, who lived right next door to us, had erected a long wooden fence all along their property. The Lyons had seven children. And we had two. And I remember all these days, my little girl, Cora, this isn't a picture of her, but it could be. uh, My little girl and my son were constantly against the fence talking to the seven lions children on the other side. We call the lions home the compound, you know, the compound, the fence, the security wire, you know. And there our children would be talking every single day back and forth to the lions kids right across cracks in the fence line. One day we looked over and uh, we didn't see our kids, but we could see a swing set on the other side of the lion's home. And there was my daughter on the swing set, you know, swinging back and forth. Jenny and I looked at each other and we went, yes, they have breached the perimeter. From that point on, it turned into a relationship between us and the Lyons family. And really for us, looking for ways to breach the fence. I remember uh, once uh, somebody in the household had gotten sick. Without saying anything, we went over to the Lyons household and it was, a, it was a snowy day. And we basically took all of, with snow shovels, took it out and shoveled out their whole driveway and stuff. So they could get to and from, um, you know, their home. Uh, and uh, a little while later, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Lyons came over and was talking and said, by the way, did you do that to our home? And I just laughed and said, well, it could be. Little by little, we were breaching the fence. There was one day, though, when their little one got really sick and was in the hospital. And uh, they were from a Roman Catholic family, but just not any Roman Catholic family. This was old style where they would go to mass and it was always in Latin, Right. Always in Latin. And to Anita, I said, Anita, I know we're from different faith groups, but listen, the basics are there. You know, I believe like you do in God the Father Almighty. I believe like you do in Jesus Christ, His only Son, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. 
I believe that he was crucified, dead, and buried. And I can see Anita just going, wow, he's believing. That's the creed. That's the creed. And I'm kind of bouncing along the creed, you know. And I said, um, hey, Anita, can I pray for your little one that's in the hospital right now? And so I did. And that led more and more to relationship until all of a sudden the fence line was breached and we were totally over it. When we moved to um, California, you know, some years later, um, when the Lions came to California, guess where they stayed and guess who they stayed with? Us. (laughs) The only successful family to breach the perimeter. We put up walls and fence lines all around ourselves. And many times it's because of the hardness of our life or sometimes it's because of, of the fear of the community around us. In the 1970s, Rebecca Manley Pippert basically wrote this book aimed at evangelicals and the name of the book was Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And have you ever read that one? And Rebecca Pippert had this, um, had this illustration, and she says, basically what we're like is we're a, bunch, we're a bunch of rabbit hole Christians. You know, we come out of our rabbit hole, and we basically look around out of the hole and look for that next place of safety, which is the rest of our evangelical community, right? Over in the hole and down, you know? And, we're, and all of a sudden, that's it. Nobody is aware of where we are. We're not breaching anything. We live in Orange County, and we talk about community, right? But I look at community and I go, okay, we live in community and here is Orange County community. All right. Our lawns are so small that a lot of if we have one that we're not doing them. We hire somebody else to do it because that's keeping up with the Jones only takes 10 minutes anyway. Somebody drives up in the truck, does all the lawns in the neighborhood, drives off. Right. Meanwhile, it's time for us to come home. So we come zipping up into our community where we have no what community. Because we're driving the Batmobile. And we come zipping up in the Batmobile and we hit the clicker. The Batcave opens. The Batmobile goes in and we're gone. It's possible to live in a neighborhood for years and never know the people on the other side of the walls or the other side of the fence. It is absolutely possible, you know, to do that. Robert Frost, years ago, wrote a poem, and uh, some of you have probably heard it, and the, and the poem is basically, Good Fences Make Good Neighbors. Have you ever heard that one? Famous poem. It goes like this. There's something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps that even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have that rabbit out of hiding. Sorry, that's not part of Robert's poem. To to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean. No one has seen them made or heard them made. But it's spring mending time we find them there. And I let my neighbor know beyond the hill. And on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go to each the boulders that have fallen to each and some are loaves and some are nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned and we wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, it's just another kind of outdoor game. One on a side, it comes to little more. His side is all pine and mine is an apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. 
And he only says this, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is a mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd asked to know what I was walling in and what I was walling out. And to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him. But it's not elves exactly. And I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grass firmly in the top of each hand like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness as it seems to me, not of woods only and of the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. And he says this again, good fences make good neighbors. So many times in our life, we respect the fence lines of others. But the reality is, is sometimes people need us to get up and over the fence or under the fence or around it. Because until we're up and over the fence and inside the perimeter, we never get to know the people who live inside. We can put up the most audacious walls. And so many times as Christians, what's so important for us to be able to do is to look beyond the walls, to look beyond the outer accoutrements of dress, of tattoo, of earrings, of any number of things that would keep us separate from each other. Sometimes people set up walls in terms of who they are, basically out of fear and out of desperation to be kept from hurting again. For years, I was, for four years, I was the chaplain for the field medical training battalion. Those are the corpsmen who basically train to give aid, to render aid to wounded Marines in the field. I'd hike with them and we would all be there, the great equalizer, all in the same uniform. You know, I would see them walking and working with pride and working with each other. And then oftentimes I would be there on a Friday as they were about to get liberty. I was always stunned by what went into the barracks looking alike and what came out of the barracks. Aggies, you know, from the Midwest with big old cowboy boots and belt buckles this size. By the way, you know, I have bigger belt buckles, you know, if you're living out in the Midwest. So that when you're balancing hay, the weight rests on your buckle. Huh? Did you know that? Oh, it's not just, there's a reason. Yeah. You know, guys from the inner city, Detroit or whatnot, you know, all pimped out with chains all over the place. And me just laughing going, what are you? You know, the guys, you know, with their little ties or any number of things. And I'm just thinking, this is the group that I've known and I've laughed and now is hardly recognizable. But for them in that week, that was how they chose to self-identify. And I was realizing as I was speaking to them every week and praying for them and spending time with them, this was a crucial moment. It was the moment for me to see them. Myself no longer in uniform. I stunned them the way I looked. But a chance for us to look each other in the eye and see each other for the person, you know, that was there. Good fences make good neighbors. At that moment in time, I had to get under the fence line and see my brother sailors for how they were identifying themselves as they went forward. In that moment, it was a crucial moment to either move forward with them in relationship or to lose everything I'd been working on. Getting under the fence line. 
Oh, there are so many ways for us to get under the fence line. Sometimes it's just a, ch- a sense of knowing one another, or sometimes it's a wrong in the neighborhood, or some- sometimes it's a fear, or sometimes it's the way that people are presenting themselves. Sometimes there's something that needs correction, even in our own Christian community. And the question is, is how do I get under the fence line of your defensiveness, which no doubt will come up to be able to know you deeply and to care about you? Before you jump the fence, I want to get, this isn't this picture great? I just picked it because it was fun. Sometimes you look at pictures and you go, I just want to be there. I want to be one of those dogs, you know? And then I'm looking at the dogs and I'm thinking, these dogs have made it. These dogs are over and that dog is in a whole lot of trouble. And this dog is here giving a second thought to whether or not he's really going to try. You know, I think he's missed his jump off point, you know? And so I'm looking at it going, we jump the fence in a number of ways. Sometimes we're looking at people and saying, I need to get close to you. I need to know you. I need to take a risk. I need to get over that fence. And somehow I need to come and to meet you where you are. And so here's some thoughts before you jump the fence. Before you jump the fence, here's what I would say. Let God guide you. Before you jump the fence, let God guide you. Is this the fence I'm supposed to be jumping over? Is this the portion of the fence I'm supposed to be jumping over? Do you want me to jump over it now or should I wait a few hours, right? Has the dog on the other side of the fence been put away? You know, what's it going to be like for me to jump over the fence right now into my neighbor's territory? Before you jump over the fence, let God guide you. Here's the thing. As Christians, so often we get it into our mind what it is that we want to correct in another person. The difference that we want to make in that other person. You know, how we want to point the finger and how we think they should be. And sometimes that's all about us. Sometimes it's not only about us, it may be about our culture, it may be about our values, it may be about a number of issues that have nothing to do with God's word, right? The timing may be all wrong. And so the question I have to ask is, God, is this my will or is this yours? Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this about thoughts. God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. Sometimes I get it in my mind that there's somebody that God wants me to speak to, that there's a neighbor that I need to go make a difference in their life, that there's a friend that I need to talk to. Sometimes it may be presenting the gospel. Sometimes it may be correction. Sometimes it may be, hey, I've heard this story about you and I want to make sure it's not true. Sometimes it's, 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 it's in my mind as I'm passing you by. I'm sensing that you're hurting, um, but I don't want to be too invasive. Can I ask you if you're okay? And when they say I'm fine, can I stop and say, are you really all right? God makes this promise with regard to our relationships with him and with others, saying, listen, I know things that you don't know. I understand things that you don't understand. My thoughts and my understandings are way beyond yours. And by the way, the way I want to do it and the way I want to handle it is way beyond what you can even think or imagine. Sometimes we'll come to a person with a plan and my plan for your life. You know, we've heard that God has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, any of us that are parents know this. Forget God's plan. Daughter, I have a wonderful plan for your life. And it's going to be A, B, C, and D. And sometimes for us, we just need to realize, wait, as I'm jumping over that fence, let me be prepared for the unexpected, for the surprise, that maybe God wants to change something as I'm moving through the fence line here. Let me be open for a change of plan at any moment in time. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. By the way, whenever in, in a Hebrew text you see something repeated, and would you say that the whole text has been repeated? It's not only been repeated, it's been repeated and rephrased, lest you miss it. That's the equivalent in Hebrew, because Hebrew doesn't have any, um, any punctuation marks. That's the equivalent of putting an exclamation point behind the line. God really wants you to know, listen, you cannot keep up with my thoughts and my ways. They're going to be beyond you. So begin by saying, God, will you guide me in what I may not even understand? Before you jump the fence, oh, um, the next line is this. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word which goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I desire and I send it. Before you jump the fence, remember this. It's God's word and not your own. How many of us have our favorite Bible verses? Do we have them? How many do we have the verses that we give to people, right? How many do we have the verses where we're looking at it and saying, this verse is going to make this difference in your life, and I'm ready for it to make this difference in your life right this instant? Have you had that experience? Okay, And oftentimes, we treat, I mean, we talk about this. God's word is living and active. Do you know that verse? And it's sharper than what? Than any two-edged sword. And it's it's able to pierce what? To bone and marrow. Do we believe it? I would say that a lot of us, no, we don't believe it. Because we think that I got to add on to it. We think that I got to make it stick. And I love this verse. Because that verse that we just read, um, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, basically says this. God's word doesn't return empty, but accomplishes the purposes and the desire for which what? For which he sent it. My task is not to get the word out and make it stick. My task is just to get the word out and let the Holy Spirit make it what? Make it stick. Okay, true story. I'm, uh, I'm in the locker room. And... Uh, and this guy comes in, and, uh, and he has had a bad day with his wife. It has been horrible. And he's talking about what a so-and-so she is and going on and on. And the other guys in the room are going, yeah, yeah, you don't need to take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so, um, and so I'm, uh, I'm headed. I forget where I'm headed. We're kind of in the shower. We're changing, you know? And, uh, and so I look at him as we're, as we're moving, probably to me to the sauna, him to the shower or whatnot. And I look at him and I go, you know, a gentle word turns away wrath. By the way, that's a Bible verse. But, uh, but I didn't say, you know, hey, you know, that comes from Frank 49.5. You know, a lot of, gosh, have you ever met those kind of Christians? They drive me nuts. As a pastor one day, some guy's just coming at me, you know. Every other word is, you know, this Bible verse and the reference. This Bible verse and the reference. This Bible verse and the reference. And I'm just going, man, this is John 92.10, man, you know. And, uh, and sometimes we're like that. You know, I got to give you the reference. And say, it's from the Bible. God can take care of that. And so I just give him the verse. You know, a gentle word turns away wrath. And he looks at me and goes, what? And I go, gentle word turns away wrath. And I just turned on him and I headed into the sauna to do what I was doing. And uh, he went to the shower. <clears throat> and, uh, and so a little while later, we're changing. And as I'm changing, I can feel a presence behind me. And as I turn around and I look up, he looks at me and goes, hmm, 
a gentle word turns away wrath. And he goes walking off. And at that moment in time, I realized something. I hadn't done anything other than deliver it. I hadn't told him where it came from. I just had delivered it. And in that moment in time, God's word didn't return empty. But as a result of just giving that one little piece, he was going home to make peace with his wife. It accomplished the purpose, not for which Frank Riley sent it, but the purpose for what? For which God sent it. So many times that we think it's our honor, our dignity, our pride, whatever that's on the line, you know? But the reality is it's not. God has the ability to take care of himself. Thank you very much, right? Regardless of what I say or what I don't, his word is still true, right? Last time I checked, he was still on the throne. Last time I checked, my Bible says this, that every what? Knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Is that because I did my thing? No, regardless of me doing my thing, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Some of us will do it in great joy and wonder, and some of us will do it in horror. But the fact of the matter is it's going to happen. Why? He's on his throne. You know, I don't need to defend his honor. He can do it very well on his own. Thank you very much. My task, though, as I'm moving under the fence is basically to say, God, I'm going to bring your word in such a way that it is winsome, in such a way that whoever's hearing it can take it in. My job isn't to convince them of the truth, right? Because the moment that I think that my job is to convince you of the truth, what am I really saying? I'm really saying that God's not real. I'm saying that Christianity is a what? A philosophy, which is what the majority of the secular world would say. We're in agreement with them then. But if I say, you know what? I don't have to do the convincing. It's not a philosophy. It's a living word. And God, through his spirit, has the ability to speak to people long after I've spoken to them. Not only that, get this, because God is sovereign, he not only has the ability to use me, but who knows how many other people he's using on the same person. If we would just be open to asking God, what do you want me to say? And if we would just be open to remembering that it's what? That it's God's word. Before you jump the fence, I would say this. Remember the goal. Well, what's the goal? Well, it'll accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. Right. And then the next line, 12. And you will go and you will go out with joy. And be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees will clap their hands. What's the goal? Because of my word, which has gone forth from my mouth and accomplished the purpose for which I sent it. The goal is this. It's peace and it's joy and it's celebration of all of creation. Right? It's not one more objectivized person, one more, you know, person in my little fishing basket, right? It's, uh, it's joy and peace. Here's what I tell people. I say this, look, as you're moving forward, as you're moving over the fence, ask yourself the question always, is there a sense of joyful expectation in my life, right? Do I have a peace about this? And a lot of times we'll get into this conversation with somebody. Have you ever had this happen? I'm getting a conversation with somebody and they're open. I'm thinking, ah, this is totally great. I'm being led in joy, right? And you're just feeling, this is good. And you take the next step in the conversation, like, I'm at peace. This is so great. And then all of a sudden, mm, they basically log off on you. And then what happens? You get frustrated 
You get mad, and you're saying they're just not hearing it, and uh, a spoonful of sugar isn't going to make the medicine go down. This stick is going to make the medicine go down, right? Right? Let me tell you something. At that moment in time, it's time for you to shut up, time for you to leave, time for you to just graciously change the subject. God's not in it anymore because peace has left. Pay attention to the Spirit of God as you share, as you move with people. And later on, we'll talk about this too. It doesn't have to be done all in one sitting, right? It can be done over a period of time, and it doesn't have to be done in your sitting alone, right? There's a number of other people that God can use to make a difference in somebody's life. So as I'm jumping the fence, I've got to know, all right, God, is it your word or is it mine? Is this your direction or is it mine? And do I have a sense of your joy and peace as I'm spending time over here in Mission Impossible over the wall? Dun, 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 dun. The moment the peace goes out, it's time for me to change that a little bit. I can always come back to the subject later. I can always come back. And pick it up again. And if they know that I'm not argumentative, if they know and they felt the peace and the care that I had for them in the midst of whatever it was I was doing, I'll be welcome to pick up the conversation again. It might be that the Holy Spirit himself has shut down that part of the conversation. Why? Because what, what, what needed to be delivered has been delivered. And, but we're sitting there going, but wait, there's more. You know, the Ronco, great deal. I've just given you these three verses, but wait, I have four or five more things I want to give you. And God's saying, no, you don't. Because right now this person has been hit and they need to go and think about this for a while. For what purpose? So that my word that has gone forth from my mouth can, a perp- can accomplish the purposes for which I sent it. But wait, it's urgent. I get to get the whole message out. And God says, wait a second, listen to me. You have to get my message out. Not your eight points. The other three may be points you never give because somebody else is going to give them. Her name was Jen, and I'll never forget her. She was a Satan worshiper. That's what she was. She was coming at me, you know, with all this stuff, you know, and I'm just sitting there going, I'm just going to love you anyway. You know, we're talking about things. I never closed the deal with her. Couldn't. You know, but just loved her. Fast forward. She came back to me and said, it was because of you loving me, because of you not condemning me when everyone else did, because of a sense that you always cared that I was open and somebody else talked to me. And Frank, what I need you to know all these years later is I've not only become a Christian, and this is hilarious, I'm a pastor's wife. And I'm just thinking, what are the chances of that? Well, had I stayed in it without listening for God's sense of peace, the chances of that would have been what? Zero. But allowing God to do his work in his time, his way, as we were crossing the fence line, allowed for her to have more than one experience of Christians, right? And to have her life changed. Now, sometimes with people, um, here's the reality. To get to people where they live, you must get to people where they live. That kind of sounds like an oxymoron. You know, no matter where you go, there you are, right? But this is a truth. To get to people where they live, you must, what? Get to people where they live. What I mean by that is somehow we got to get away from rabbit hole Christianity, right? Rebecca Pippert, out of the salt shaker of the world. You know, we've got to get away from that and say, I'm going to go find you where you live. 
I'm going to go spend time with you where you live in your spaces simply because I love you and I care about you and I want to, you know, I want to know you. In our youth ministry days and even in the Navy among chaplains, we call this incarnational ministry. You know, for God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his only begotten son to do what? To be with what? With sinners. Jesus was accused of the following by the religious people. He was accused of being um, the friend of tax collectors, sinners, and what? Drunkards. What great company, you know? But even today, if we start to hang out with the wrong crowd or people are wondering, man, who are you hanging out with? Um, early on in my ministry, we kind of took this seriously. And, you know, there's a whole group of kids that we wanted to reach. And they were like the drug addict kids up on the hill. And so we grew our hair a little bit longer, you know, and started to look like them a little bit and went after them a bit. And we got pulled over, you know, by the police one day. And I'm laughing. I'm going, this is so cool. We're passing the disguise mark here. You know what was going on? We were with them where they lived. Now, there was this one girl. Her name was Bridget Benjamin. I'll never forget this because uh, Bridget... Um, knew that I was a pastor, you know, had been open to this and had even started coming to church a little bit. So I went to visit Bridget up on the hill and there she was. And I can see Bridget in the distance and Bridget is smoking the cigarette, right? And so as I approach Bridget, she sees me, doesn't, hopes that I haven't seen the cigarette yet. And she takes this thing and she jams it in her pocket. I'm cracking up. So I'm talking to her and all of a sudden Bridget's going like this. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, hey, Wouldn't you like to take that cigarette out of your pocket? Oh, yeah. What had happened? I had taken the time to meet her where she was. The cigarette was immaterial. What was material was looking at Bridget and saying, I care about you and I'm in your space. To get over the fence, to get to people where they live, you must get to people where they live. But this is another truth um, that um, just in terms of pushing the conflict with people, you know, we have this fear of loss, this sense that if I really push into where you live, whatever it is, that somehow I'm going to lose you, you know? And sometimes, too, we're afraid if we push too close, we're afraid that we'll be, dis- that we'll be exposed for the frauds we are. Have you ever felt that way? Who am I to speak to you? And here's the other point that I would give. To get to people where they live, you must get Get to people where you live. And that means a willingness to disclose your life. And that can be scary. We're fearful about being exposed. See, it's not only the fence lines of others, but it's our own fence lines, right? And we're fearful. As fearful as others are about exposing their life, we're fearful about exposing ours. You've got to realize that others are too. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here's the way it reads in the message. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. So many times in our lives, the way this reads is the following. All right, the real righteous people in the room are going to be here and all of you sinners can come and confess your sins, right? And now the righteous person 
normally thought of as Pastor Paul, is going to, is going to pray for you, right? No. Confess your sins to what? To each other. Isn't that what it says? Confess your sins to each other. How many of you have ever heard this saying? Love the sinner, hate the sin. You ever heard that saying? I hate that saying. I hate it. Because normally what it's saying is, yeah, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to hate your sin. You know, and I'll see people going, love the sinner, hate the sin. I go, okay, so what's your sin? We weren't talking about me. I'm talking about you. What is it? See, here's the deal. There's a sense that, you know, those that are more mature in Christ, right, don't have all these sins to confess. But here's what I've learned. As we confess our weaknesses to each other, especially those of us that are leaders, right? We make it safe for the young, new Christian or the person just testing the waters to come in as well. Because we're saying that we're not perfect. Paul said this of himself. I am the what? I am the chief of all sinners. Do you realize that? I mean, think about that. You know, in so many of our, in our communities together, if we said, okay, here's the guy that we're going to hire to be our pastor. We're hiring the chief of all sinners. Here's the person that's going to write most of our scripture. The chief, of all script, the chief of all sinners. What does Paul say of himself? He says this, look, I do what I, I, do what I hate, and I what? And I hate what I do. I agree that God's word is true. But every moment that I'm trying to do God's word, sin is right there with me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. I look at that passage, and that passage gives me great hope. Here's the thing that I know about Frank Riley. Frank Riley is a mess. Has been his entire life. You know, there is not going to be... I always say, it. I, I look at it and I go, there are days when I wake up in the morning and I'm ready to go, take on the world, I'm perfect with Jesus, and about five minutes goes by and that's the end of that. Right? I am not in any way, shape, or form, you know, a perfect man in any way. I serve a perfect Jesus who has perfect grace and who is my redeemer and seeks to be others as well. Sometimes my thoughts are so bright and joyful and pure and good that, um, that I'm just amazed at the goodness of God within me. Sometimes they're so dark and cantankerous and lousy that I wonder if there's any hope. Do any of you live that way? We all do. We all do. There is only one good, one perfect, and he's the one that we serve. But somehow within the larger community, you know, when we talk about fences, people are thinking that what we're proclaiming is that we're the good and perfect ones. And somewhere among us, there needs to be the freedom to say, no, no, I've blown it too. Now, that doesn't mean that I get up in front of everybody and I say, okay, here's the whole list, guys. Because I need to be wise about that, right? And I need to be safe about that. But so many times it might be me listening to someone and them getting ready to share. And as they speak, I'll say, let me stop you. This is what I've struggled with in the past. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations like that and people just breathe a sigh of relief and go, you too? And my answer comes back, yeah. But Jesus is still above that and has the ability to bring us forward. 
there's an expectation out there that people think they have to be perfect. And so we put these, these fences of false perfection around us. You know, the way we used to, the way we call this in American society is whitewashing, right? You know, the whitewashed picket fence. You know, and we know there's all this dirt and crud underneath the fence, but there we are whitewashing the whole thing. Jesus talked about the same thing. Talked about the Pharisees as being whitewashed tombs. Outside we wash it all, that's the fence line, and inside it's a mess. Somehow within the body of Christ, and as we're there giving witness to the goodness of Jesus, we have to say, okay, I'm a mess. In the 1970s, there was a book that came out, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Do you remember that book? And there were all these things that you could say, and the book was, I'm Okay, You're Okay, and that's what we were supposed to get to, Right? And, uh, and so there were all these different ways you could deal with people. One of the ways was to say, um, I'm okay, you're not okay. Which, by the way, is the way most of people look at, you know, at, at Christians in terms of how they're, they're, they're talking to their neighbors. Another one was to say, okay, this is totally unhealthy. I'm not okay, and you're not okay. That was the other one. Another one to say is, I'm not okay, but you're okay. But finally, we were able to get to that point of wholeness, according to the book, and say, I'm okay, you're okay, which was a big lie. The truth of the matter is this. If I was writing the book, I'd say there's one more possibility. I'm not okay, and you're not okay, but God can make us okay, okay? (laughs) And that's the truth, and that's what people need to hear, and that's where the safety is, but that's where the great risk is. You know, to look at it and say, as I'm coming under your fence or over your fence, as I'm spending time with you, I am a fallible, messed up, hurting human being just like you. But I know where comfort is and I know where hope is, right? And I know where that is for me and I know where that's possibly for you. And so as I'm spending time with you, I spend time with you not as somebody who is perfect showing you the way, but as somebody who is imperfect letting you know a way that I have found out of this. The Bible says this about God and his heart for us, not only that he's come, but that Jesus has done the following, that he has grabbed us and rescued us out of the dominion of darkness. It's a rescue operation. And even as I'm jumping the fence, sometimes it's forward operations. I'm there scouting the field for Jesus so that he can can get us both out of this place at the right time his time, and in the right way, his way. Jump in the fence. We, we ask God the question, is this the time and the place? Is this your word? Is this your will or is it mine? And am I willing to go where people are? And am I willing to let them see me for who I am? All those things make a difference in terms of making a difference with your neighbors. Let's pray. God, thank you for this hour that we've had again, this time to enjoy each other's company. And Lord, a reminder too that, uh, that sometimes moving toward people is hard. It's not just about their vulnerability if we're going to be effective, God. It's about our vulnerability as well. And then as we're mutually vulnerable, you have the ability to interject yourself and to make a difference, not only in their lives, but in ours, as you remind us all about the magnanimity, the huge uh, amazing nature of your grace and love toward us. God, always, 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 we want your word to be alive not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of people. So help us with that. Give us a sense of peace and a direction to know that, uh, that Lord, truly, we're asking and seeking uh, what you would have us do, wherever it is and whatever fences we're jumping in our neighborhood 
whether those are physical lines or emotional lines or just lines into the personal lives of people. We love you and thank you for this time. Amen.